Hi guys, I'm Dominic Bowes and uh, this is Dragonheart. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Dragonheart where we will be uh, talking about a, a little bit of a, a boring game on the weekend when it lads wasn't wasn't the best. Uh, I think we'll be going over that a little bit. Uh, we'll also be going over some of the the, the latest news. Uh, I'm Bill Long. Uh, joining me today is uh, Neil Williams and Mark Griffiths. How are you both lads? Well, I'm not I'm bad. Good Go on, Mark. I'm channeling the spirit of Norwegian football commentator Bjorga Lillian after they beat England. And was it 1981? Nigel Hawthorne, Lady Godiva, Mo Molen, can you hear me? Jimmy Hill, your boys took one hell of a beating. There, I've said it. <laughs> Are they holding a cat at the same time? While holding Laszlo the cat. Rexham's <laughs> top feline fan. Eh, good lad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we yes, see the game on Saturday. Well, yeah, let's get right into it. So, I mean, if if we if we think sort of uh Chronologically, I suppose it it was some game. You're right, Neil. But how how do we even break that apart without going step by step? I suppose pre-game the teams were announced and a couple of surprises, weren't there, Neil? Uh, yeah, very surprised. You know, Hayden obviously had a bit of a, a niggle and a knock, so uh, big game. You know, so you know, rest him for for the league when we need him most. Um, yeah, surprise Palmer was dropped as well, but maybe resting him for the league, I'm not too sure. But it was great to give Dolby a chance. Um, yeah, it was, you know, a few, and, and Hall Johnson on the wing as well. So uh, instead of Ford, when we when we saw the team sheets, yeah, we were really surprised by them. But uh, yeah, the other lads did the job, they, they played well. So um, nothing too much to worry about, was it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, let it daylight in on magic, but. What happened was I got a left from all-round club legend uh, Geraint Parry and he takes a call just after we've left Wrexham and he's talking about something and saying, yeah, yeah, well, Aaron won't need that because he won't be playing. And I was sitting there thinking in the passenger seat thinking, Aaron? Aaron Hayden? Aaron what? And uh, yeah, when he hung up, <laughs> so horrified, asked him, are you saying is Aaron, Aaron Hayden not fit? And yeah, it's a tight hamstring. And I was I was horrified, but I'm I must say it's it's ironic because you know I was quite fixated about what Coventry would do, what their lineup would be like, you know how strong would they go? And then you look at their side. I've I've made a straight beeline for that when the team sheets came out, and thinking, oh, okay, that's pretty strong. But then I saw ours, and I thought, hang on, we're rotating as much as they are. I, I was a little taken aback by that. I've got to be honest. Mm. Uh, I, I think the coming from being uh, in the stands, well, under the stand, uh, when that news sort of broke out, everybody was panicking that it was a serious injury to Aaron Hayden or that he was off and he was being sold and people were like, no, no, we're not risking him because he's going. And, you know, it, I, I think the club are sort of damned if they do, damned if they don't. Everybody wants us to rotate. But the second a rotation happens, people start to panic a bit, don't they, Neil? Yeah, and towards really, I mean, I think we're all worried. You know, we may lose a few of our good players, but because we're in the situation we are now, I don't think there's any doubt that any of the players will want to leave until they've achieved what they were brought into the club to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, that I think they're there for the long term. You know, they, you know, they love the place, they love the fans. You know, the four and a half thousand fans that turned up on Saturday. You know, through all the the traffic jams, the accidents on the roads and got held up everywhere. I think uh, they were a credit to the club and the players were a credit to the club. And, you know, from what Mark Robbins has said about, you know, the fans at Wrexham being the loudest that's ever been at the Rico Arena, um, I, I just think it was amazing. Even the build-up to the game was, was fantastic before we even had the team sheets out. Yeah, so... Go on, Mark. Sorry, it's, it's quite weird. Uh, you know, being one, we were some of the first ones into the press box, weren't we, Neil? And there's like a succession of people turning up and being asked, "How was your journey?" And everyone's saying, "Terrible, terrible." And it was a common experience of them getting down there. Uh, but it made up for, of course, once the game started. And of course, the most important pre-match thing of all was that just you know, when I got my email on Saturday morning from their media team 
the media pack and it says there would be pies and chips in the cafe. In the media in the lounge. Cafe. <laughs> oh, I was a happy man. Um, and they delivered I had a very nice chicken balty pie. Mm. And they left the skins on the chips. So I think that's the most important thing we can take away from our FA Cup match, really. I, I, I got fired for free. <laughs> I thought the club were very helpful, very accommodating. All the stewards were very good, and people within the ground were very, very friendly and very good. And, you know, they, they, they looked after the Wrexham media team and the fans very, very well. And all the comments you see from the Wrexham fans, they all seem to have had a really good day there. Yeah, it was, it, you know, and what, and the, the service uh, under the concourse as well, probably one of the smoothest I've been to at a football match. You, the the queues were very quick and, you know, there was a lot of people who were very thirsty uh, queuing up for stuff and they got served very quickly. So fair play, uh, uh, good good club. And, and as we'll get on to in a moment, a few of their defenders were quite obliging as well, weren't they? Well, yeah. <laughs> should we, should, we'll, we'll move on to that then. I mean, the... It was weird, right? Pre pre match, everybody I spoke to, a, a, a lot of people were really confident, and I, I thought it was misplaced. I actually said a few times on the bus, and I, I got a, a, you know, a bit of a bit of a ribbon for it. That I thought we were going to get battered, not necessarily because I I don't have faith in the team, but just it's it, they're three leagues above us. It's a competition they probably wanted to do well in, and I, I had a feeling that maybe we would rotate as well. And especially when that team sheet came out, I thought. Mm, you know, you've got Riesel Johnson, who's not played much for a long time. Uh, Clueworth coming in for Hayden. And that's two two changes like that in defence is always a bit of a, a worry. But, wow, some performance that was, wasn't it, Neil? Oh, amazing performance. I think I said to Mark, well, you know, before the game, before we started commentating, you know, in, in reality, it was a free hit for the team, really. The pressure was off them. You know, there was no pressure. Oh, we've got to keep the... You know, winning because we got to keep up with Notts County. It was just a free hit, and I think that showed in our play in the first, definitely in the first half. We were so free and so attacking. Clueth, you know, stepped up and did a, a fantastic job. You know, coming in for uh, for Hayden, and I, I thought everybody that came into the team did a sterling job. You know, and at the end of the day, we didn't really have anything to worry about. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Clueth because. I mean, he's barely played the last eight weeks or so, has he? And our commentary position was right above the edge of the area on the right-hand side from Wrexham Defence's point of view. So we had a good close look at Clueworth. And, and first 10 minutes, he looked a little bit rusty. And he just thought, oh dear, I hope we haven't thrown him into this out of necessity. And he's not quite sharp enough for it yet but after that I thought he was utterly outstanding I thought the way he handled things was brilliant when he started charging forwards I mean he wasn't played in often by Reese Hall Johnson but Hall Johnson used his, his runs as decoys to create space inside him to find other players uh, set up a shot for O'Connor uh, in exactly those circumstances and Clueth was brilliant I thought absolutely magnificent Oh yeah he, he earned the penalty as well didn't he it was him his shot would have gone in, you know, when the, the guy handballed it and uh, we've given the penalty for our fourth goal and then the player sent off. So uh, I think he had a fantastic game, you know, and you know, I've no doubts, you know, Parky will be using him again in the near future because I thought he had a great game. Well, Bill, Bill and I work with uh, some of his, fa uh, uh, someone who is a family friend of Clueth and she was saying how heartbroken she was because they were watching the game on TV and they, well, they were very proud of how he played, but they thought he'd scored with the penalty. Yeah. And it's like, wow, imagine if that had happened. Like you say, if, if Panzo hadn't stuck his hands out. Yeah. But we've jumped ahead it, in the chronology a bit. We have no. to score <laughs> sorry, sorry, guys. Well, yeah. yeah. we score three before then, don't we? It's a, it's a <laughs> I know, but I, I stars, just, wasn't it? You know, I was just saying about the, the players that stepped in, you know, stepped up to the game. We'd been out yeah. for a while and... Yeah, I just thought he was he was worth a, a real good mention, Clueth, because he, he did have such a good game. Absolutely. The tempo bill from the very start was breathless, wasn't it? We were just at them. You could see from the beginning what our intention was. We were going to go at them. It, yeah, and and I think we we took them by surprise, really, because I think it took it took the 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 fans in the stadium by surprise as well. Um, I mean, look, if, if you want a very detailed breakdown, go and listen to the fantastic Final Whistle podcast that was released uh, 
yesterday on the official Wrexham AFC streams. Uh, Love you, Bill. But, uh, <laughs> but in terms of like, you know, like you, you, you come to us for the pub chat, don't you, with Dragonheart and the the uh, the the atmosphere was just we I feel like the fans just bought into what the, the players were doing on the pitch. Um there was no nervousness, not not the start, obviously a bit later on we'll you know, we'll get on to that a bit later, but as the scoreline got a bit closer, there was a bit of nervousness. But I felt like nil-nil, and I don't know how it it it, it came off to, to you in the press box. Never mind the fans, the, the, the club, the players having no pressure. The fans felt like they had no pressure and everyone was really having a good time. And it, it, it's one of the loudest Wrexham crowds I think I've ever been in, Mark. Oh, the, the atmosphere was magnificent, really was. Um, and we'll get to later that the Coventry fans, I thought, were magnificent as well. Yeah. But, oh my word, yeah. I mean, the Wrexham fans just made such an unholy racket. It was fabulous to see. Uh, we had to make some decisions on the highlights about what audio to use and whether to use our radio commentary over the top. That's that's not ideal because it's not a video commentary. But we, we did do in the end because the deciding factor was, can we hear the fans really well coming off it? And the answer was a resounding yes. You know, even you know, even with the headphones on, you could just hear everything. The crowd was singing. It was a marvelous, marvelous atmosphere. And it must make you feel ten feet tall when you're, you're attacking that Wrexham end. I mean, the photographs are, are phenomenal that have come out of the media team. They're really amazing, a fabulous record of it all. But you know, the Wrexham players celebrating with this huge bank of fans behind them. It, it was. It was absolutely magnificent, wasn't it? And and it was exciting in the press box, Neil, as well, wasn't it? There was that crackle, that sense of we're going to be, you know, we're we're in a game here. We're, this is not going to be us, you know, sort of rolling over and getting beaten by a stronger side. We're in this. Oh yeah, we're definitely in the game from from the word go. To be honest, I thought we we dominated the first half. You know, when we you know we scored that wonderful, wonderful first goal for Derby with his header. Um, great work by again Reese Hall Johnson and then on to Luke Young um, and a pinpoint cross and in between two defenders Darby got his head to it and in the corner net and you know we didn't expect it but I thought we were so you know so good in going forward and so quick as I said I think we caught Coventry on the back foot um, they didn't expect what what we had on the pitch and our attacking prowess and uh, when that first goal went went in, you, you could look at them and think, well, what's going on here? And I thought, you know, great first goal. And, you know, and that that wound the fans up as well even more. We got going even more, which lifted the players even further. And it was just a great start to the game for Exum. And, you know, and the, the tempo was magnificent. And, of course, I'm long enough in the tooth to have seen so many Wrexham games against, you know, good quality opposition to feel... Well, I, I, it often comes down to the quality in the penalty areas. I've often seen quite sort of nondescript Wrexham sides outplay a stronger team in midfield. But the problem is we don't take our chances when we create them and then the other side are good at creating chances and, and taking them when they make theirs. And a number of times I've seen us lose a game to a top or second division team when we've made twice as many chances as them, but they're able to capitalise um, and yet on this occasion, of course, we were also the team that took their chances because, uh, you know, OK, I, I accept Coventry did make plenty of chances themselves. But wow, I mean, we were making them and finishing them. Like I said, that that header by Dolby, that was just a lovely move, wasn't it? O'Connor's switch was excellent. And if you go a little bit further on, a little further back, O'Connor is put under a lot of pressure and just is really calm in possession to keep the ball moving backwards so that we don't lose it. And then when he gets it back, pings that big diagonal. Hall Johnson, lovely first time little pop inside. And because he's played it early and the fullback's close to him, that gives Young just that time to take a touch and measure it, putting that perfect cross for a perfect header. I'm really glad for Dolby as well, because as you know, we've been saying in previous episodes, Dragonheart, We'd probably look for a fourth striker. You know, three strikers isn't that much to get you through the season. So, you know, whether he's going to be third or fourth choice, you know, is maybe up in the air. Well, he was given a real vote of confidence to start that game. 
And he really, well, took hold of that advantage and ran with it. Because, Bill, as you said, you were very impressed with his performance, weren't you? Oh, really impressed. I think um, uh, you, you, what, what's going to be sort of n- not understated really with his with his performance in general is that this is this is a guy who hasn't really played much this season, mm. who is being brought into a, a team that, you know, let's be honest, like, okay, he's, he's playing in training, but if he's playing in training, when they do 11 v 11 games, he's going to be on the, op- the opposition side, isn't he? You know, he's not going to be playing with all those players week in, week out, or day in, day out, I should say. Um, but you, you wouldn't, you would not have known he was our third choice striker, would you, Neil? No, he, he put in a good, good shift. To, you know, he ran for everything. He ran after everything. And yeah, I, I was so pleased that he, he got that goal. He was given the opportunity to start for a game. I don't know whether that was, a, was that the first game. Well, no, I think he started in the FA Trophy, didn't he? But his first one of his first four games, he started for Wrexham and, I thought he, you know, raised his game and, and did really well because he hasn't played for the for the first team in the league at all. I don't think from from a starting position. Has, just... has he made himself undroppable after that? Because I know Palmer's played really well, but it gives uh, Phil Parkinson a bit of a headache, doesn't it? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, we'll see whether it is rotation or not when we see the team sheets for subsequent games. But um, it's his fifth start for us, but. Total minutes played this season, 317 as a starter, 164 as a substitute. If you compare that to, well, the likes of Palmer and Mullen, Mullen's played <laughs> over 2,400 minutes. So it shows that he's not had that much time on the pitch. But fair play, he took advantage of it, didn't he? And not only a goal, but also an assist. I mean, it was an excellent all-round performance by him. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe Parky use him a bit more. I don't know. Um, I thought in the, the game of Solly Hall, I thought Palmer looked a bit you know, off his game, to be honest, and uh, wasn't as uh, aggressive he normally is in his playing. So, you know, maybe it's something for Parky to have a think about after that, you know, performance that Dolby put in against, uh, against Coventry on Saturday. I think it's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because... Ollie Palmer's been so good at home, so, so good at home. And I think, you know, Solly Hull on Boxing Day, he was absolutely fantastic, wasn't he? You know, he he he, he potentially uh, had a claim to be man of the match that game. Well, my lad, most of the squad had a claim to be man of the match that game, but he was up there. And then doesn't perform quite as well at Solly Hull away, loses his place, probably, if we were honest, because of a bit of rotation. Now, actually, there's a question mark and... Any other team in this league, there wouldn't be a question mark over someone of his quality, would there? I still feel he's first choice, but uh, of course, Dol- yeah, Dolby's yeah. made a, a strong case, hasn't he? Which was I mean, really great to see, really good to see. And I loved the way that in the end, well, I say loved the way at the end, Dolby was absolutely out on his feet. He was shattered, but he kept just going. And I think as well, Parkinson, you know, could have brought on Bickerstaff for him, but left him on because. His height is useful from set pieces when we're defending, isn't it? So he asked him to go the extra mile and beyond, and Dolby dug deep and did exactly that. So all credit to him. He's yeah, Steve so... Buxton of the 21st century, Neil. <laughs> Steve Buxton. A bit taller than Steve Buxton, though, eh? True. Yeah, fair comments. <laughs> 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 Sorry, uh, Sorry no. <laughs> slightly. <laughs> he's a he's a postman in Boris. Actually, he is. Oh, fair enough. Um, yeah. No, <laughs> Steve on, Buxton. Steve. You're gonna you're gonna give a potted history of Steve Buxton, Neil. Oh, uh, you can give him a quick quick. Well, he was a he was a little terrier, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He was on your heels all the time. <laughs> he was very um. He was a, a little striker, wasn't he? Quick and incredibly feisty. And maybe one of those players who, well, he suffered maybe from a couple of things. One was coming through our youth system when we had the best team we ever had, which meant he was trying to fight against established players like Dixie McNeil and Graham Whittle and, you know, John Lyons for a place in the team and Mick Vinter. Uh, but he did get into the team. And the other thing he had to fight against was that he was so good coming off the bench because he tended to put 90 minutes of energy into a 25-minute performance, that he, I think he was slightly 
sort of pigeonholed as a specialist off the bench. Uh, but he was very good, wasn't he? You know, coming off and, and coming on and hassling defenders. He got sent off a few times because sometimes he'd push it a bit too far, but he was a great sort of feisty, scrappy striker. I can even forgive him the perm he had briefly in the early 80s. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the best perm, I would argue. Not that I'm in a position to complain about her hair or indeed about anything else. My watch has just warned me that I should move because I'm in a noisy environment which just went over 90 decibels. Well, that'd be me then, wouldn't it? <laughs> There's nothing else going on around here. The speakers are quite low. Um, so maybe I should calm myself down a bit here, you know? <laughs> Well, something that definitely went over 90 decibels was the uh, the crowd after both the first and the second goal went in. And uh, I tell you what, I actually listened to... Uh, it was one of those games, wasn't it, where I, afterwards I was, I was just trying to absorb as much coverage as possible. And I've listened back to not the whole highlights, but the goals, your reactions to the... Your two's reactions to the goals. Um, Neil, your, your scream... As that second goal went in, <laughs> almost well, blew my blew my phone up because I was listening to it on my phone. So <laughs> I was saying to Mark before the game, is I don't know how I'm going to contain myself, you know, if we score because we're in a, a way media area. But I thought there was plenty of wrecks and media around us. I thought, why not? You know, let it go. And when that second goal went in from, uh, oh gosh, can't even think of his name now, Lee. But Lee, yeah, yeah. Whether it was a cross, whether it was an attempt on goal, but we didn't care at the time. He just flew in that bottom corner. I think the keeper saw it late because he thought there was a, a striker going to come in and try and head it in, but and he stayed on his line and it just flew in the bottom corner and we were just in dreamland at 2-0 up. We couldn't believe it. And, you know, I said to Mark, you know, if I can, we can take this lead in at half-time, we've got this game. And how yeah, right you I, were. Yeah, yeah. I've oh, yeah I, I, oh, sorry. Go on, sorry, Mark. Well, uh, firstly, Neil, did you notice what Bill said there? He said he was desperate to absorb every little thing about the game, so you know he resorted to listening to us. That <laughs> <laughs> up, um, I said I did. That's mild, that is. But also, <laughs> I just my recollection of that is like he's out on the wing. And I'm sort of looking in the middle, thinking, what, what's he going to... Can he pass it to someone? Is there somebody he can hit in the box? And when he whips it in like that, I'm thinking, oh, not sure there is anyone be really there to attack that ball in. And the next thing, just the whole place has exploded. And I said, my headphones are exploding, and Neil going nuts. And I'm just going, oh, my God! <laughs> I, I just can't believe it. And at first, yeah, my assumption is, Elliot Lee has done... You know, some sort of amazing world-class trick. Um, I think it was a cross, almost certain. I'm certain it was a cross. But having said that, who cares? Because the fact is that he's he strikes the ball so cleanly, doesn't he? So if he's going to put a bit of zip on it when he puts the ball into the area, you're going to have to be on your toes no matter what. And the truth is, I think I said it in the commentary, or did I say it in the podcast? the story about the old famous 1930s golfer Ben Hogan, who was supposed to be the best in the world, and he kept, like, you know, chipping the ball to get on the green, it would roll into the hole, and a jealous opponent once said, um, I can't believe how lucky you are, and Hogan said, yeah, it's funny that, the more I practice, the luckier I get, and the truth <laughs> of the matter is, you know, Lee keeps putting the right balls into the right areas all the time, his technique is beautiful, he strikes the ball beautifully, you know, something like that's going to happen, and he deserves, he's made his own luck, hasn't he, I think? But at what a moment, there's such an explosive moment. Like, What's two now? All right, then, this is going well. Well, it's it's mad that it was a bit like that in the in the crowd. So I was, I was um, row B or row C, I can't remember now. And just from, from the way we were viewing, just left of the goal. So my view of the actual goal itself was a bit, I couldn't really, I didn't really know what had happened other than seeing the ball going into the net. I couldn't tell you whether it had taken a deflection or whatever, but it was just like it was unreal that the the place absolutely erupted. And after it calmed down, people were just laughing. I don't think anybody could quite believe what was going on. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, oh, it's crazy. Yeah. To be fair to Mullen, he wasn't that far off getting his head to that ball, yeah. but uh, and he was actually celebrating. 
before the ball hit the back of the net. So he, he knew it was going in. Yeah, he, he'd have definitely gotten to that ball if it had been to him, but it didn't matter, did it? So, you know, yeah. fair, fair play to Elliot Lee. What a, what a superstar. I mean, uh, we were in Greenland. We, we were, we were. I mean, it, it was it was definitely one of those games that was just... Uh, sometimes a match can almost be like an out of body experience, can't it? When you when you look when you think back to it, it's almost like was I was I actually there? Did that really actually happen? That yeah. yeah, and that was that was one of those games that just just time seemed to to stand still a few times, and when that goal went in, uh, the well, I can't. I can't even do, say anything that would that would do justice to the feeling, really. Um, Time did definitely stand still when the seven minutes went up. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, we'll get onto that. But yeah. first, they, they first off, they they yeah. did they did pip us back with a goal, but we don't really need to talk about that too much. To be like I said, go to the final whistle podcast if you want a, a technical breakdown. Oh, I would say though, um, <laughs> throughout, even we looked a better team. But you could see they had that championship quality that when they did get the ball yeah. in the final thirds, you felt threatened. They, they looked like they had goals in them, even though we were defending well and we had more of the ball and had more threats, if you will, more possession in their half. Um, and it could, you know, if we hadn't won it, the turning point of the game, I think, would have been that injury to Tavares, the young striker. It was a horrible injury as well. He's ruptured his Achilles, isn't he? He's out for nine months at least, it seems. Um, total freak, freak injury. But that meant they brought on Victor Jokeres, you know, one of the best strikers in the championship. And you could see his quality. That made a difference, didn't it? Um, you know, he, he was he, he was a class act. Yeah, and before yeah. they scored, they did it at the post as well, didn't they? Yeah, Palmer's, them, so, yeah. Uh... And Palmer was good. Yeah. There, Palmer, Casey Palmer, wasn't he? Kept dropping yeah. between the lines and clever little early passes around the corner to find strikers. He was really threatening, and you could see they had something going forwards. It was just that we kept scoring, <laughs> which was, you know, it's quite handy to do that in a footy match, isn't it? it, it yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> We'd have been happy going into one and a half time, but then they added the seven added minutes in the first half, and then we know what happens next, guys. Well, first was I was moaning about adding seven minutes on, but the half ends with our co-commentator Paul Jones chastising me and saying never complain about seven minutes being added on again because of course we scored <laughs> in the seventh minutes of added time didn't we yeah and and that that was quite funny because my uh, my mate Ian who comes with me to to all the games was like oh we could we could do with another goal couldn't we just before toes are through it and then and then you know like to to score off the back of that and it, it's that third that third goal was was a weird one because that that we went in with so much confidence, but it, it was just that. That I know I keep saying it, that really was a is this happening moment. Like you could go three one up against a championship side. Mm. It, it's 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 it, it within the first half. It's unreal, absolutely unreal. I mean, it's I, I, genuinely I'm almost lost for words, and it's not often that happens. But it's it's difficult to really quantify how that felt and what it meant to the, everybody that was in the ground. Really, well, all the Wrexham fans were in the ground. <laughs> I think it shows how far this team's come this season, to be honest, you know, how confident they were this in the first half of that game, you know. And when Toza took that throw in and you know, it, we know what he's like with his throw in and and I'm sure they must have, you know, watched his throw ins quite a lot, commentary before the game, but it was a bit like head tennis in, in the box there. You know, three headers and it was in the back of the net. So uh, yeah, for Tom O'Connor, he was in the right place and he, he twisted his head to to angle it away from the keeper and it was three one half time and him. Then we were in Dreamland. And, and I think it also shows the value of Toza's throw-ins. And until match of the day, how we were the first game on match of the day. Um, you know, <laughs> they they were talking about not being able to deal with his throws. And I think the thing is that I think a lot of people have the image that oh, a, a long throw is dangerous because somebody will get any end of it. And you know, okay, with Hayden and Palmer, you do have players who can actually win and put a good head on goal straight from a long throw. But I think more importantly, it forces the other side back deep in their six-yard box and gives you lots to, to work off, second balls. And what we did really well on Saturday and effectively was we kept winning those second balls. The throw-ins were into a crowd. It was difficult to get any leverage on a clearing header. And so, like you see in that goal, the defender gets his head to it, but he can only pop it up towards the edge of the box. Luke Young is there hoovering it up. And when he puts it back in, 
it allows Dolby to set up O'Connor. I mean, it's a lovely, nice uh, head, head tennis goal, wasn't it? But but all three of them played their parts. And we won a lot of balls around the edge of there. What clue penalty that we'll come to came from exactly the same thing. We had another chance when Young had the shot blocked before that goal. Where, yeah. you know, the defender, to be fair, Young, he's hit it like a rocket from about seven yards out. But it was never going to be a goal because the defender got out so quickly that he blocked it. But if the defender hadn't got out so quickly, Young would have scored then. So you know, those throws cause massive problems simply because they, it's hard to get them clear. And there was another chance we had in the first half, and I'm struggling to remember what happened at the end of it, but it was a long throw that was cleared properly, but McFadgen got onto it and he banged a cracking cross ball to Tozer because Tozer knows to either follow the throws in and join in the attack, or more often stays out there. And if the if the ball comes out, we know Tozer's there, and he's two footed, and he's good cross with the ball, and he'll drive past a defender with pace and strength as well. So he's a useful player on the wing. Um, and McFadden just knew he would still be there and didn't really have to look. He just drilled it straight at him and opened Coventry up. So those long throw-ins are. are Really good weapon, the way we exploit it in more ways than just trying to hurl them onto Hayden's head. And, and that, that goal, I think, illustrates it nicely. Yeah, I think it, it'd be fair to say that Bento is probably our uh, most underrated player in a lot of ways, isn't he? In, in the sense that he very rarely gets the plaudits uh, that some of the other <laughs> stars in the squad get. But our, our game completely changes without him, especially with that set-piece delivery as well. So... You know, fair play to him. And then we go we go into the break then, free one up. And speaking of breaks, uh, we're gonna take a, a quick one and we'll be back in a second. I'm Luke Young and this is Dragonheart. So second half, Neil, we're due to come out. How are you feeling at half time? I know you guys do the halftime show, but how are you how are you feeling about the way the game's gone. We can believe it, to be honest. I thought we, I said we'd, we'd dominate the first half. Yesterday, they had a few chances that they looked very good going forward, but they didn't have that final finishing touch to, to score goals yet. We we did, you know, 3-1, more than happy half-time. And you could see that the, you know, the Coventry fans were getting a bit, a little bit disgruntled with, the, with their players going backwards and being so negative. And uh, yeah, we couldn't have asked for anything more from the team. Um, nobody thought it would be three one at half time, and uh, I think we were on, you know, we were on cloud nine. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums up uh, fans in the stands uh, reaction as well. And the atmosphere in the concourse was absolutely unreal. Everybody was bouncing; it was fantastic. Uh, I mean, when when we played Stoke uh, a couple of years ago. The atmosphere was like that. And I think there is an element of when you're playing a bigger club and that, like you said, we've said previously about the lack of pressure and all that sort of stuff, everyone is up for it. But to be 3-1 up and people be up for it on top of that anyway, that's like, it was just so special. You know, and I, I think as well, what, what we've got to uh, sort of say really is that we're, we're really, really benefiting from the fact that so many people are coming to the race course now. I know it's it's almost unfair that a lot of people can't get tickets to these games because of the season ticket holder priority and then the memberships. And that's well, not unfair. This was just the way it is. But there are a lot of people who miss out. But in previous years, we'd have had like a hardcore of about 1,000, 2,000 that had season tickets, a, a floating group of fans that came to most games to make that up to three or 4,000. And then I, I've always said with Wrexham, people who say that they're all these people are bandwagons, they're not. that. We've always had about 10,000 fans that would come to two or three games a year. It just, it just wouldn't be their priority. But now we're playing really well. They're making it their priority. You know, that's just, just how it is. Um, but we, we've got 6,000 odd season ticket holders. The, the vast majority of that 4,500 would have been season ticket holders. They all know the songs. They all know who the players are. They know all the chants. There is there, there is barely a soul in that away end that, that doesn't know who's playing. And I think it really added to the atmosphere, didn't it? I think you, yeah, I mean, you took the word out of my mouth saying about the songs um, because that whole away end is all making noise. Each person in it is making a lot of noise. 
I mean, if you look back, I'm not trying to be critical of this, but just just observing the change in nature of it. Uh, when we got to the FA Trophy final against Grimsby, it did have a bit of an air of a family day out, perhaps. For speaking to someone who was in the press box and wasn't in the crowd, it just felt a little bit like that. It was nice. It was lovely. It was a fantastic thing. Um, but Coventry was four and a half thousand people who've been watching Wrexham week in, week out, are really committed to the team and were singing their lungs out for them. Yeah, and to actually watch them from a distance because we were quite away from the, mm. you know, the Wrexham fans in the press box. Um, to see that sea of red and white was just phenomenal. The bouncing, the singing. I mean, you outsang the Coventry fans easily, you know. It, it, it was so lovely to hear, and I just wish I'd been part of that because I enjoy the, you know, the atmosphere and the singing part of the game, you know. So, uh, yeah, they, they were a credit to the club, the fans where they, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure the players have said as well, you know, that lifts their spirits, it lifts them. And as Mark said, you know, you must feel 10 foot high when you come out on the pitch with that amount of fans singing for your club behind the goal, you know. It, it must be an amazing feeling. To be fair, Neil, though you got plenty of singing done during the broadcast. <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> I like I like the way you, you're quite real. As you said, you, you did say to me beforehand, I don't know how I'm going to contain myself in the press box. I'm glad you admitted earlier that you just decided I won't contain myself. <laughs> that was quite safe. <laughs> quite right. <laughs> uh, it was, it was, it was the, the commentary. And by the way, I, I'm editing the, the video of us to put up. Uh, it's quite fun how the post-match one is just a picture of you from the torso down because you're standing up, <laughs> clapping and singing. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's a, it's a, for me, the, the, the best things about all of this is that people like you who are so committed to the club are getting to see some really great stuff, you know? Yeah, I felt a bit safe because when, when we scored, there was a lot of fans around us in the boxes behind us. We're all Wrexham fans who are in the boxes yeah. above us and behind us because, you know, one of your kids from school was in one of the boxes, wasn't he, Mark? So hmm. there were Wrexham fans all around us as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, oh, there was one gentleman who took exception to us at the final, wasn't there? He did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Walking past, making a gesture. He gave us a two-finger salute. <laughs> I assume he was just hoping there were two legs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh well, I mean, it, you know, and that's and then it like, got like, better. Yeah, it did. Yes, <laughs> not not that long after the the start of the first half, it was about the fifty something minute. I mean, like I say, time just completely slowed down and and, and stood to a, a still for me. So I can't remember what minute we scored, but uh, like like we were saying earlier, you know, Clueiff scores that if if the their defender doesn't. Take a bit of a dive, and I don't. I, I'm not 100 convinced he's he's dove to save it. Ala, uh, was that, that Newcastle player's name? Stephen Taylor, was it? Yeah, and, yeah. The, the, and then he pretended to like he was like shot like a sniper afterwards, wasn't he? Even <laughs> though he had actually handball. I don't. I don't think it was a situation like that, but it, it does go in. And Bluewolf's been a bit unlucky since he's broken into the first team with with goals. There's a few chances he's he's missed and. I know he scored a screamer in the FA Trophy, but other than that, he's been a bit unlucky, isn't he? And uh, yeah, he, is it a red card though? He's a I last mean, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not complaining. I'm not 100 convinced it, it was a it red card. Game. It changed the whole game. In their favour. In their favour, oh, yeah. That red yeah, card yeah. changed the game for their favour. You know, you know, we know the history. Mullin took a great penalty when we. Guaranteed he's going to score from the penalty spot and 4-1, a dreamland again. And we're thinking that's when you know, a huge amount of country fans started leaving the stadium. They all got up and started walking out. Um, but yeah, they're sending off, changed the game for them, going down to 10 men. What changed, I don't know, but they just dominated the last, you know, basically 25 minutes of the game. And you've got to give them credit for that, haven't you? And I think, I think you've sort of alluded to it earlier, Mark, but the Coventry fan base as well, in fairness to them, uh, uh, I've been in plenty of crowds, both as a neutral and as a Wrexham fan, where that kind of thing's happened and the atmosphere turns very sour, doesn't it? Nasty, you know, and really, especially when when a team's a couple of leagues below you, just to, just to go a goal down 
when the team's three leagues below you can sometimes sour the atmosphere. Uh, but they didn't let it they didn't let it get on their backs, and I think that really helped their team kind of galvanize, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you, Neil. You're quite right. A good number left then, and I understand why. But the, those who stayed were absolutely outstanding, I thought, the, the way they got behind their team. The atmosphere was amazing. And, and like you said, Billy, quite right. I mean, I, I'm i going to offend people here, but, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it. Sorry, Callum. Uh, please, anyone offended by this, blame me, not Callum FM. Um, <laughs> I just thought, you know, I spent plenty of time at Goodison Park and, oh, Everton fans, doesn't take much to spark them. Imagine if they were 4-1 down with 10 men and half an hour left against a team from three leagues below. Oh, my word, they'd tear the place down. But the Coventry fans were astounding the way they, they stuck with them and roared them on. And there's no question that their fans, uh, you know, made, played a part in driving their team forwards, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, I think as well you asked, you, is it a red card? I was adamant at the time that it wasn't. I still feel maybe not. It's definitely a penalty because he's jumped arms out, that whole thing now, isn't it? A natural silhouette. So, mm. you know, yeah, it's definitely a penalty. Um, but, you know, to make it... Uh, a red card for denying a goal-scoring opportunity, do we need an element of intent? Because I, I, I agree, I don't think it was intent, except insofar as by making himself as big as possible, he's hoping to block it somehow. Um, but it's not the same as the Cardiff one on Sunday, where the, the young fullback makes a, a brilliant tumbling tip around the post. Um, I felt a little sorry for him. But then you got to remember the context was we were I, I knew we were about to go or likely to go four one up against ten men and I thought oh the size over now and how wrong I was because like Neil said they came at us properly didn't they wow they did I'm, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit Mark I mean half time they came off to booze the, the, yeah, yeah you know the fans were actually booed Coventry off you know and I don't think the Coventry fans got going until they scored their second goal because. They were so subdued after Wrexham scored the four. That's when, you know, quite a number of fans got up and walked out the ground. You know, they'd, they'd seen enough, you know, getting beat by a, a team, you know, three leagues below them. And uh, when they scored that uh, second goal, it gave them some hope. And that's when they, I think they started getting behind their fans and, and had a bit of a belief, um, especially when the third one went in. And uh, yeah, they thought they're right back in again, which, you know, rightly they were. Um, and we had to defend... You know, tooth and nail to, to keep it a 4-3. Um, a nice comparison for you. When we beat Dover, uh, when Dover go 5-2 up, it's around the same point in the game. And I think, yeah, the Wrexham fans were a bit stunned at that point. But when Palmer got the one back to give us a bit of hope, that was when I think the crowd was spurred on, especially because Palmer then picks the ball up and he's running back to the halfway line, stirring everyone up. But, you know, just like the Coventry fans, it was getting that goal back and thinking there might be a bit of hope here, reducing it to two goals. That that really got everyone going, I think, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely so. Definitely so. I mean, they did get more vocal. Mm. Um, and you could see, feel the nervousness coming from the Wrexham fans because they went a little bit quieter. So, uh, yeah, but 4-2, we, we still thought we were comfortable. And then they pulled the third one back, you know, and it was squeaky bum time, you know, with... Uh, especially those last 10 minutes when the added seven minutes went up again. I mean, they had so many chances, number of chances again, hit the bar, they hit the post. You know, Howard made a couple of great saves to to stop the ball getting to their striker. And, you know, we threw everything out to keep it a 4-3 to win the game. And I thought, you know, fair play, the lads were out on their feet, but they, they battled so hard to, you know, for the fans and for themselves to to keep that win, to keep that victory. And, and, and they did a great job. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't, have, couldn't have said it better, Neil. Yeah. And uh, all, all credit to, was it Palmer who took their free kick? Because that was that was a hell of a free kick. And I think anybody who thinks that Howard's going to save that is, it's a, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one to say. I can understand why people are a little bit upset, but like I said to you earlier, Mark, off, off camera, you know, if if he dives for that and still doesn't save it, people will go, ah, oh, well, you know, it's unsavable. But because he doesn't dive, everyone's like, ah, oh, Howard should have gone for it. It's like, 
Yeah. Isn't it kind of a kind of a nice height, but the the whip on it was just yeah. just it's a fantastic delivery. I, I first just of all, we didn't think it was a free kick, did we, Mark? First off, when we saw it, we didn't. But think it, was. it was a free kick, Coventry. Yeah, but was we it? Really, it was when we saw the replay. We realised just how biased we are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and secondly, I think our wall should have jumped a little bit, and they would have, you know, would have skimmed off the top of the, off the head of somebody and gone up, maybe gone over the bar. But there we go. We can't complain. No. Um, I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for Howard. I mean, at the time, the way it went past him, I said in the commentary, you wasn't sure if I might have taken a little deflection because he looks flat-footed. But when you look at it again, you realise there's no deflection. But to be fair, he's not flat-footed. I mean, that's such a difficult place to defend a free kick from. It's right on the D, pretty much in the middle. So he's got to make a decision about which side's the wall side, which side's his side anyway. Um goalkeepers when you when, for me speaking as a failed goalkeeper uh when you blame a goalkeeper for a, a free kick going in should be when they make a wall and then they don't trust it and they gamble and go behind it anyway that's when it's a mistake and the fact is that Howard did the right thing in trusting his wall to block it and as you said Bill bottom line when a player strikes a free kick like that so it's skimming over the wall and it's skimming away from Howard even though it wasn't in the corner it would take something outstanding because remember the whole problem with walls, you can't see the ball till it's come over the top of it and it's coming over it at pace like that. Well, you know, good luck. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it's a bit like that chance Mullen had at 4-1 where he absolutely nailed it. And I think it it more hits the keeper than anything else. It, was, it came through a crowd and you know, he just happened to be in the right spot. If that had gone a foot either side of him, he wouldn't have moved. Um, I, there's something maybe we might forget about as well. When it was 4 1, right? Okay, now we see our narrative as but Coventry come back. But for about five or six minutes, it played out like you would expect. We were against 10 men and we did make more chances. Mullen was against the last defender twice once, brilliant tackle, and then the other time, well, he was body checked and. You know, the ref wasn't giving him anything, so he didn't get the decision. Um, he had that shot as well, which the keeper parried from about 10 yards out. You know, we, we did. We were rampant for a bit after that fourth goal, but then they managed to make intelligent substitutions and turn it around and just put the pressure on us with the crowd behind them, didn't they? And I think we panicked a little. Well, I'm reluctant to say that, but you know, we did. We're a good team, um, and we've got a lot of experienced players. But the nature of the onslaught, and I think it's not too much to say it was an onslaught, meant there was a little bit of panic. There were a couple of times when defenders just hoofed it anywhere when they they, they had time to take in, in a league game. They're taking the touch and look to players out. There was the corner at the end, which Howard looked to punch and mispunched when he could have caught it. You know, just because the occasion and, and the situation, I think, was getting into people's heads a bit, I think. Um, but, you know, they're human. They're allowed to do that. And they did a lot of superhuman things So on Saturday. So we can forgive them, like, can't we? Yeah, I think we said in commentary, you know, perhaps we should have kept the player upfield on their set pieces, you know, just to keep a couple of their players out, you know, but to make it a bit more room in, in, the, in the box there. But, uh, you know, it was what it was. And I, I think, as we say, Mark, you, we did panic a little bit, but that's just human nature, you know. When you your back's against the wall and you're playing against a superior quality footballing team, um, they did all they could to, you know, to keep the ball out of the net, and and they and they did that job, you know. I've got. I've it got was to down to maybe their poor finishing that they didn't equalise and take to a replay, but uh, and some good, good saves by Howard and and yeah. and our defenders blocking the ball when they needed to. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, that's how the game planned out. It's, and some yeah, by Luke Young. Luke yeah. Young didn't just win a lot of tackles and didn't just win a lot of excellent tackles, but he won a lot of very important tackles. 50-50s where if he doesn't make it, we're in trouble. And I thought that was, I mean, it was a real captain's innings by Young, wasn't it? Fantastic. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, like, well, last year especially, uh, the midfield was sort of highlighted as maybe the weak area of the, if you were going to pick a weak area of the pitch. But it was the midfield, I think, that, that won us the game, really. You know, Elliot Lee scores the second goal. Tom O'Connor sets up the third, was involved in the first, so was Young as well. And some of those those um, crunching tackles Young went into towards the end to help galvanise the, the squad and the fans was, you know, he... 
people at times have said Luke Young is maybe, how can I put this diplomatically? I must stress this isn't what I believe, but especially last year, a lot of people would say that Young would be the one to make way for O'Connor or, or another player, but he's he's um, proven himself undroppable, isn't he? I think so. I think he's best player on the pitch on Saturday, and that's saying something because there were a lot of excellent performances, uh, you know, some on commentary side as well. I, I, just, I just think he's magnificent captain, brilliant, brilliant yeah. player, so wholehearted. Week in, week out, he does the same job. You know, the amount of, you know, trekking up and down the pitch he does from being in the opposition box to get back to defending your own box. He, he, he is just such a fantastic player. I think, you know, a lot of the fans don't see that in him. And I, I think he's, he's such an underrated player, you know. And what I actually found difficult, even after the win, you know, there were some fans who were real, even critical about our performance, you know, about performance of individual players. And I think, well, how can you be critical after we've just beat a championship team 4-3 on their own ground? And then, you know, you still criticise some of our players, I think. Yeah, yeah and it, it wasn't... I, I didn't see this game. I only saw match of the day. But it looked to me, and I'm sorry for bringing this up, Bill, but with Stevenage and Aston Villa, it looked more like a game that Aston Villa were much better than them, but just didn't finish the job off properly. And then Stevenage, you know, got maybe a, a bit of a rubber the green near the end, whereas we bossed it for 45 minutes. And then the first 15 of the second half, they had more of the ball, but we, we were holding at arm's length easily. They weren't creating anything. We were fine. Um, and it's only the last 20 minutes all plus added time that you know we caved in a little, but for a good 60, 70 minutes, we were in control of that game brilliantly against the side. Like I said, I mean, I've been rotated, but I brought good players in. Um, I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> for what it's uh, worth, okay. right. say for what it's worth, Neil, actually, I I I think we were right to keep everyone back when we're defending corners in that situation. I I appreciate the the idea of um leaving players up the pitch. We had no outlet, Mark. When we had when we picked the ball up again, we were just yeah. hoofing it and we were going straight back to to Coventry. If we had a player forward who was there to battle for that ball coming out, I think maybe we'd give them a bit more to think about rather than the boot the ball coming straight back in again and having to defend it again. You know, that would be only my my only criticism. You know, that we didn't have a player up there, and that's the reason why I'd say that. But I I would argue that the primary concern in that situation is don't concede from the set piece. And you'd be working on what everybody's positions are. You don't want to disrupt that. Keep that shape. Stick to the plan. Just make sure you don't concede. If you just hoof it out for the throwing, fine. Then you can push up the pitch a bit, readjust your shape again. Um, you know, I don't mean that. You know, playing a national league, uh, uh, you know, halfway through a match, I, I would say, yeah, let's have somebody up the pitch or gamble and have two maybe. But I think in that circumstance, you know, if if we say right, okay, the lad who's the lad who's marking the far post, we won't put him in there. We'll put him on the halfway line. And then the ball comes into that area and they score. Then it's our fault that we've let a goal in. So I personally, in those circumstances, I say, nah, just just defend it. Hoof it. There's not long left. <laughs> you know, Hoof it for touch more than down the middle because it'll come straight back at you. But even hoofing it away gives you a chance to get your defensive line out. And later in the game, I'm saying do it. Earlier in the game, I'm saying don't, but... That's my, that's my reading of it. What are your thoughts, <laughs> Bill? Um, I think if we if we had this mythical pacey fourth choice striker that we were talking about, I'd be tempted to have somebody up there. But I think with the personnel that we do have, you need you need Palmer and Dalby uh, batting away the crosses, and then maybe who, who would you put there? James James Jones maybe at that point in the game or. Um, I don't know. I see. I, see, I agree. I, I'm, I'm on the. I'm not. This doesn't help the democracy of of the the dragon heart vote that's going on here and what we should have done. But <laughs> I am firmly on the fence with that. I can I can see the the argument from both sides really. But I, I it does. I I, I felt that as well. If, if you got Mullen or Lee, you might say you know get up there. You know, I, I think I, I wouldn't still in that situation, but I could see that. Or, but the fact is, um, Ford's on for Hall Johnson, so there's one quick big. Or not that you put a full back up there. Um, you know, like I said, it's Dolby and Palmer who you definitely need back defending. You put James Jones on, who, yeah, maybe is the most logical choice out of what's left on the pitch. Uh, well, McAlinden maybe, but again, he's supposed to be playing as a wing back, so he's got a, he's going to have a key role already designated for the wing left wing back. 
in the set piece marking. But, you know, James Jones, I wouldn't want to put up there because he's the sort of bloke who puts his body on the line to get a block in or win a tackle or get onto a 50-50 and get it away. So that's also, yeah, did we have the personnel to actually hold her up or sprint in behind at that point in the game? No, because we were set up to to defend the box, weren't we? We'll leave it at that then, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we all agree that we don't agree with each other. <laughs> well, um, you know, and then come the final whistle, the crowd absolutely erupted. The players, you know, they they we've got such a bond with that team. I think it's yeah. it's possibly the closest since I've been supporting Wrexham, the closest bond that a team has had with uh, uh, the crowd. Um, you know, the ninety eight point season was kind of close, but there's just some there's just something a little bit different about this team and the atmosphere at the club at the moment. Uh. Paul Mullen coming to do his that shouty German thing that that you know like all the German teams do and get everybody going and uh, a perfect storm really wasn't it? Ev- everything just fell into place for us for the most part and and provided what was probably my pro- probably the best Wrexham game I've ever been to. Oh, probably. Uh, I you got a rem- storm. Yeah, <laughs> you got to remember us us. Uh, Slightly younger fans. I mean, granted, I did. I, I was saying to you earlier, Marcus, and I, I was there for the the Rex and Middlesbrough game in two thousand, but I was only about nine then, and I, I only went to games on the odd occasion around that period. Uh, we've not had much joy, have we? Really? Well, yeah. I, I think it was nice for the younger fans to experience that going to a a bigger club and and having a giant killing done with your own fans. And I think that's. You know, that solidifies your support for the club and all people younger than you as well, Bill. You know, they're with their mums and dads, you know, they must have loved it, you know, and they think, Dad, when can we go to the next game? When can we go to the next game? I think that's all part of the whole experience. And I'm so, so pleased that they've actually been able to see the highs of following a football club, especially a hometown club. I think it's um, absolutely fantastic for the, you know, the generations to come supporting the club. We yeah, and, and it's addictive, don't we? Um, we do, yeah. And and do you know what? I see. I I can't I can't claim that this is my own idea. I saw it on Twitter, and apologies for, uh, you know, not remembering the user who posted it. But I've seen someone say that they felt like they got their club back again. Like the 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 current owners buying the club felt like, oh, we uh, look, we're not going to get critical of the trust, but there was that optimism of we're going to have some money, we're going to be able to challenge again. But this is actually a massive part of our DNA as a club. Giant killings is what makes us famous as a football club. It puts the town on the map. And this is the first one in, in first real one in like 20 odd years. And it's actually like almost getting getting why a lot of people fell in love with Wrexham back again, isn't it? Definitely so. And you think what it's done for the American supporters watching that game, you know, on ESPN, you know, they think, wow. Wow, is that what football supporting a you know Welsh football team is all about? The passion and the, the singing. I mean, they're gonna love it. I mean, I, I almost feel sorry for them because when we hit a roadblock, they're not gonna know what's it. <laughs> They've only had good times so far. <laughs> but I, I was thinking the same thing. It was brilliant not just to share it with all those Wrexham fans who've been supporting for years, but also the new Wrexham fans who bring a fabulous enthusiasm to it all. Yeah, and and there's you can just see in the, the the tweets and messages they send. There's this there's this joyous sense of we're discovering something great, and in the best way possible. They're falling in love with football. A lot of them will explicitly say never watched football before. Not really a big fan of football, but getting into it and getting into it by picking a team that's just not just winning, but is finding wonderfully exotic ways to win. I mean, there's somebody on Twitter was saying as well. Again, I've forgotten who that was. Uh, we let in five goals against Dover. We let five goals in against Barnet. We let three goals in at Coventry, and we won them all. And that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's ludicrous football, isn't it? It's really crazy football to watch, uh, and what a wonderful introduction to the game it is. Yeah, what a great journey we're all on. You know, which is only the start. Um, you know, I think this season's been basically the. The solidifying part in getting his team where he wants to get it. Maybe add a couple more on the, you know, in in the transfer window. But um, you know, I can only see 
great things ahead for this 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 team and this club for the rest of the season. Yeah. It's exciting, isn't it? Perfect storm, just like you said, Bill. <laughs> well, you know, we've 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 qualified for the next round now, and we've got Sheffield United as our next opponents. Um my initial reaction was a little bit of disappointment because in a sense, you know, you want Liverpool or United or to a lesser degree, Chelsea, Spurs, whoever. But actually, you know, Sheffield United are a, a, a really big traditional club. Their fans will come and, you know, and provide a bit of voice as well. You know, it's not like some of the Wrexham games we have where there's like 50 odd fans and it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting game, isn't it? It'll be the same as the game we had on Coventry on Saturday. Apart from we're at home, you know, we're home's a fortress. We'll have maybe nine thousand fans there behind them as well. And you know, I I wasn't disappointed one iota. I was just hoping for any home game, to be honest, any home tie. Um, and I think if it had been one of the Premiership teams or you know one of the big teams, um. Would it take us? Would they be dreaming of, of playing them and take their eye off our league games? I don't know, but uh, I'm quite happy we're just playing Sheffield United. As you say, they'll bring a good following. They'll sell out their allocation of away seats, which I should imagine be about 1,200, and it'll be a great atmosphere at the end of the month. Yeah, I, I mean, you could. What's the opposite of a sweet spot? They were in the, the Sheffield United, sort of in the sour spot in a way of clubs that haven't got the sort of heft of Man United or Man City or the label of being a Premier League team, but are plenty strong enough to to, to win a game like this. Um, and yet, yeah, while I understand that some people are a little bit disappointed, uh, I, I think it's a great draw because Sheffield United's a fabulous club. As you said, Neil, they will create a superb atmosphere there and it's a brilliant test of us. You know, let's see what their view of the competition is and how much they might rotate. But by the same token, you know, we've, we've been going so well at home. Let's see. Let's test ourselves against the best they've got to offer and see what we've got. Because ultimately, the, the, the bottom line is the league. Uh, if we go out in the fourth round to Sheffield United, there's absolutely no disgrace in that. We brought a lot of revenue in through this cup run. Um, and if we win it, wow, we really are in remarkable territory having got to the fifth round as a non-league sign. So it's another shot to nothing. And it'll be a hell of an occasion. So I think, yeah, I like it. It's a good draw myself. Yeah, it's definitely grown on me. I've, I, it was uh, initial reactions are always something, aren't they? But having a bit of time to dwell on it, I think it's it's almost perfect because it is a real FA Cup tie. It's a proper FA Cup tie. And if we'd have been playing City or someone, it might have been a bit of a circus. Actually, might it, you know, and all the the. The way the TV companies will be patronising us, but I don't think the the coverage will be quite as bad when we're playing a team that aren't as um, glamorised as some of the Premier League teams. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, anything else to add, chaps? No, I'd just like to say, you know, a lot of the the posts I've seen from the commentary fans saying, you know, how great our team was, and you know how how magnificent support that we took down to Coventry, and you know how. Magnificent way in defeat, and they, you know, they say that the better team won, and you know they've been a great bunch of fans, and they're all, you know, a lot of them are saying, "Well, we'll follow you as our second team to, because you're such a good club, and you've got a, such a good bunch of players, and you shouldn't be in in, in non-league." But uh, hope to see you in a couple of seasons' time. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know, there are parallels of the Brighton tie, aren't there? Where we made so many connections to Brighton, and obviously a lot of that is also to do with their support of us through our difficult times. But the Coventry fans' reaction, I think the same. I think we've been fortunate in those two big draws against big clubs that we've we've come up against a couple of very classy clubs that have made an impression on us as much as we have on them. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully Sheffield United will be the same. Uh, so after this quick break, we'll be wrapping up the show. I'm Liam McClendon and this is Dragonheart. So, uh, uh, an absolutely fantastic historical uh, weekend. One for the history books. Um, probably go up there with some of the best Wrexham results ever. 
uh, and a, a, a thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable day. Um, thanks very much to, for listening. We have been Mark Griffiths, Bill Long, and Neil Williams. Uh, anything you guys want to plug from the the media stuff? Um, everything I do. <laughs> I don't know. What I'm the, the highlights are weird because it's got our commentary on and it's not a, it's not a it's not a video commentary. So there's the odd peculiar aside which I'd like to apologize for. Um but ah, it's the usual thing, isn't it? We love doing all these different stuff. I love doing the Ask Rexham podcast, by the way, and it doesn't they really open up to quite a broad audience and they're an absolute joy to do, yeah. Yeah, for for anybody who's not had the chance to watch the Ask Rex and podcast yet, Mark, would you like to just give a little bit quick rundown of what that's about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, essentially, I started using the hashtag Ask Wrexham just to allow fans to interact with the commentary team during the match and ask questions. And before the takeover, it was a good, it was good, but we didn't get a loss. There were some games where we had nobody interacting. Um, and yet, since the takeover, I mean, there are so many new fans following us from overseas uh the commentary is free of course and so before bringing in the streaming we were the first point of contact if they wanted live uh interaction with the club we were the only ones in a way who would provide it and ask Wrexham exploded massively um mm. it's very flattering for all of us and we're delighted that a lot of fans now they are streaming the game still sync our commentary with it rather than use the audio on the streams that's lovely to hear but um, Ask Wrexham has exploded to the extent that I, I thought we'd, we'd have to start a separate show simply because there's no way we get round to all the Ask Wrexham questions during the commentary. It's just impossible now because there's so many. And also there are so many brilliant questions. You need a platform to answer, you know, maybe answer them again for people who weren't listening to the commentary. So it's basically answering people's questions. Some are from new fans asking for clarification. Some are from older fans, uh, you know, who have been supporting the club and know more than I do. Uh, and it's just a, it's a lovely mix, but it's a treat to do it. And it really is. It's, and it's fun to reminisce about about footy matches that I've forgotten, of which there are many. <laughs> and what, where can they listen to this, Mark? It's on the club's YouTube channel uh, as a video. And it's also on the club's podcast channels as well. But if you if you put hashtag Ask Wrexham and podcast into Google, blam, it's going to appear. Right and that's, there. that's hashtag ASKWXM, not the full world Wrexham, but yeah. That's true. Yes, absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, and just make sure you listen to us on the, the Wrexham player through the Wrexham website, every, every game we cover. And which Mark said is free for everybody listening and can be listened to anywhere in the world. Yeah, and fantastic coverage it is. If you if you want impartial coverage that is accurate and completely down the middle neutrality, do not listen to Wrexham player. But if you want to, if you want to hear, <laughs> if you want to hear Neil cheering and singing uh, like we all like we all want to, then then definitely get on the Wrexham player uh, commentary. I I love it. It's you know, it's and I've been I'm lucky enough to be part of it sometimes, but you guys are, are fantastic when I do have a chance to listen. Anyway, so yeah, don't forget to follow us on all the socials. Uh subscribe, uh hit the notification bell so you get your, your updates. It does help the club and it helps us grow. So please make sure you do that. We've been Bill Long, uh Mark Griffiths, and Neil Williams. I'm Harry Lennon and this is Dragon Heart. 